Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Nehemiah chapter 7. I want you to turn there if you will, please. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 7. We've been studying through Nehemiah. And by the way, next Sunday will be the last sermon in this sermon series on the Nehemiah Journal. Okay? We're going to close it out in chapter 8. That's where revival takes place and where Nehemiah drives his people back to the Word of God. And So we'll unpack that next week. And that would be the final message in this Nehemiah Journal series. And I hope and pray you've enjoyed studying through a portion of the book of Nehemiah and getting a better understanding. How many have a better understanding of Nehemiah today than you did before we even started this series? Right? Awesome. That's great. Uh, great, great study. It's very um, applicable uh, to all of our lives at every level, in every area, every role that we're in, whether it's a parent or a grandparent or on the job working or in the community leading or in the church. I mean, it's just there. There's so many great principles in the life of Nehemiah that we can apply to our life. And so I hope you're gleaning some of those and using some of those. Now, next Sunday we'll be in in Nehemiah chapter 8. The following Sunday I'm going to start a brand new sermon series on prayer and fasting. Uh, And all of these series are tying together. If you remember last fall, going into Christmas season, we did about an eight-week series on the mission and vision of Victory Church. You remember that? We had the banners on the wall. They're out in the the foyer now in the coffee shop. Uh, and that's our, our mission statement, which, by the way, is what? Loving God, loving others, and passing our to the... Yeah, put some hand motions to it. You guys can get it, right? Uh, passing our faith to the next generation. Let's say it together. Loving God, loving others, passing our faith to the next generation. That's why the playground equipment's so important, right there. It's the third part of our mission, what we're trying to do. Pass our faith to the next generation, right? So that's our, that's our mission statement. And I, I spent about eight or nine weeks or so just on that alone, okay? And then we went into the book of Nehemiah. And the reason I went to Nehemiah, number one, I just felt led the Lord to do that. But one of the main reasons is, is because they're so, um, you can see it put in practice. You can see where just a layperson takes seriously his mission from the Lord and goes out and does a wonderful deed and wonderful task and fulfills this mission for the Lord. Okay? So then after that, though, after this series, we're going to go into a season of prayer and leading us into Easter, which is a big spiritual weekend for everybody that's concerned about Christianity. Uh, that's, our, that's our Christianity. That's our Super Bowl, right? Easter, Sunday, right? Because um, the Panthers didn't show up last Sunday, did they? <laughs> thought I'd throw that in there for you Broncos fans, okay? Uh, anyway, that, that's our Super Bowl, right? Now, what we're heading into. So I want to lead our church and lead us as God's people in a season of, of prayer and fasting going in to our Easter season, and I'm going to be teaching on prayer. I'm going to be teaching on fasting, and one of the reasons I'm doing that because we we discovered in the life of Nehemiah that he spent about four months in prayer and fasting and planning 
and weeping and crying and on his face before God. Because in Nehemiah chapter 1, he discovered the state of Jerusalem, right? He asked his brother, how are my people? And he, they told him, said, the walls are in shambles. The people are scattered. Uh, it, it's just a, it's a mess. And, of course, Scripture tells us in Nehemiah 1 that Nehemiah's heart was broken. He mourned and he grieved over this. And he spent time in prayer and fasting before the Lord about what he could do to help rebuild the walls and rebuild the people. He's before the king, if you remember in chapter 2. He's before the king, and the king noticed he has this sad countenance about him. You remember? Just reviewing a little bit. Has this sad countenance about him. And then he tells the king why he's sad when the king asks. Now, the king could have killed him right there because he could have taken anybody's life for being sad in his presence. He could have killed him. That's how cheap and valueless life was at that moment. But he didn't. And he told Nehemiah, he said, well, go rebuild the walls. Go do what you got to do. And so he asked how long you're going to be gone. And Nehemiah told him. But then Nehemiah requests a couple of things from the king. Do you remember what those were? Two letters. The first letter dealt with what? Safety and passage, right? Letters to the governors that I can get safely through. Because he's more than a thousand miles away. He can't jump on Southwest Airlines and be there that afternoon, right? He has a caravan. He's having to travel and go. It's going to take him about two months of travel to get there. And he's going to be going in and out of these different territories that these governors are, are over. So he needed safety. So he had a letter from the king that I can safely pass through. There was another letter he had, a second letter. What was that? Yeah, the letter for the building supply, okay? So whoever the building supply guy was, he said, hey, I need a letter. I need materials to rebuild the wall. And he also said, I need materials to, re- to build myself a house, right, for he and his family to stay in. Okay, so he took care of those things, and he got those letters. So then he takes off, he goes. He now is in Jerusalem, and he's in there for a few days, and he gets up in the middle of the night. What does he do? Yeah, checks out the wall. He goes riding around, Scripture says, on his animal, okay? And he goes riding around the walls to evaluate the status of the walls. And then he preaches this fantastic sermon. Now, depending on what translation of the Bible you're going to use, the, the numbering is going to be a little bit different. But it's around 30 words, 32 words, depending on which translation you have. He preaches this amazing sermon, about 32 words. I've never been able to do that, ever, ever I mean, my introductions are 32 minutes, not 32 words. But, but nonetheless, he preaches this amazing short, short sermon. He gives the invitation. The people respond unanimously, and they say, yeah, let's go rebuild the walls. And they take off, and they start rebuilding the walls. And he lines them up, family by family, around the wall. Now, everybody's not responsible for the entire wall, but everybody is responsible for a portion of the wall. The same thing here at church. Everybody's not responsible for the entire church, but we're all responsible for different segments and portions and ministries within the church. And when we all do that collectively together in harmony and unity, amazing things start to happen, right? Like the wall. So the wall now is being rebuilt. They're in the process of it. They're about halfway up, and there's opposition from the outside. Remember some of the attacks that came from them on the outside? And they had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, Right? Now, that ought to be a good word picture for us. We've got the trial in one hand. That's the ministry we're in. We've got to stay on the wall, keep doing the ministry. We've got the sword in the other, and that is what for us? The Bible, right? The Word of God. The sword of the Lord is the Word of God. Okay, so we keep the Bible in one hand and the plow in the other, and we just keep working and keep doing it. So there's always going to be opposition from the outside. And whatever it is you're doing, whatever area of life that you're serving in, whatever role you're in, There are always going to be attacks from the outside. That's just called 
life, not loser, life, right? That's just life. And then not only are there attacks from the outside, but there's also attacks from within, attacks from the inside. And it's been stated, someone once said, if Satan cannot destroy the church from the outside, he'll join it, right? And try to get on the inside and cause havoc and turmoil and persecution and trials from the inside. Nehemiah experienced all of that. And then last week we discovered in Nehemiah chapter 6 this thing called Operation Intimidation. Right? There were these letters that were sent to Nehemiah to try to intimidate him. There was a particular valley. You should remember the name of this valley. This valley that Sanballat and others wanted Nehemiah to come to was called what? Oh no. Yeah, because Nehemiah said, oh no, me no go to oh no. Right? That's how you remember that valley, word association right there, okay? So Ono Valley said, no, I'm not going down there. I'm doing the Lord's work. So that was the private letters, four of them sent to Nehemiah. There was a fifth one sent. It was different than the first four. In what way? It was an open letter, right? And in this letter, they were, uh, they were spreading rumors. They, it was a uh, character attack, if you will, uh, attacking his integrity and attacking his motives. Uh, attacking his reason, why he's rebuilding these walls and bringing the people together. And so lies and rumors and all are being spread about Nehemiah through this Operation uh, Intimidation that took place in Nehemiah 6. The latter part of Nehemiah 6, it says, in 52 days, the walls were rebuilt. That's amazing. 52 days, the walls were rebuilt. Now we're in Nehemiah chapter 7. Okay, so all that's review. Introduction. Nehemiah chapter 7 deals with all the genealogies. Now, I am not going to sit here and read all 73 verses of Nehemiah chapter 7. Number one, because I can't pronounce all those names, and I'm not even going to try to, okay? But I do want us to read four or five verses here out of Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse number 1 just to get started, okay? Here we go. When the wall had been rebuilt, stop right there. We didn't get far, did we? I want you to think about this. This is how I read the Bible, okay? Nehemiah is writing in his journal. And he's writing this portion about what had taken place. Can you imagine the excitement that Nehemiah must have felt at this time? Can you imagine the sense of accomplishment that he must have felt at this time? Can you imagine how big God is? In his sight right now, when he sees what the Lord did for him in rebuilding these walls. Is that not amazing? So look what it says. When the wall had been, had been rebuilt. I almost think it should be like the Psalms there and have the word Selah. Just stop and think about it. Just pause and reflect. Right? The walls had been rebuilt. Let's continue. I won't do any more of that stuff so we can get through this. Okay? When the wall had been rebuilt... I had the doors installed, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. And then I put my brother, Hananiah, in charge of Jerusalem, along with Hananiah, commander of the fortress, because he was a faithful man who feared God more than the most. And I said to them, Do not open the gates of Jerusalem until the sun is hot, and let the doors be shut and securely fastened while the guards are on duty. Station the citizens of Jerusalem as guards... Some of their post, or some at their post, and some at their homes. Verse 4. The city was large and spacious. Now get this. But there were few people in it. All right? The city is large. The city is spacious. Get this picture. The walls are rebuilt. But there are few people in the city. And no houses had been built yet. 
So the homes were not even built yet for the people in the city. And then my God, verse 5, Then my God put into my mind to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be registered by genealogy. And I found the genealogical record of those who came back first, and I found the following written in it. Now, Father, we ask your blessings on our word today, or your word today, and on our service, and we pray, God, you open our hearts and our minds as we glean from this passage of Scripture today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here we find, I think, three different principles out of Nehemiah chapter 7 that I just want to share with you real quickly, and we'll be done, okay? Principle number one, jot this down. Principle number one that we discover is that Nehemiah must watch the borders carefully, okay? That's principle number one. Now, you've got to remember, Nehemiah had spent his entire life, he had risked his entire life to go back and rebuild these walls and rebuild the people. But there's a few things that he knew that he must do in order for the mission to be complete. Now, let me ask you a question. Has the mission been completed with just the walls being rebuilt? No. That's a huge part of it. It's big in 52 days to have those walls rebuilt. But he had a twofold mission, to rebuild the walls structurally, the brick and mortar, but also to rebuild the people. So we saw in Nehemiah chapter 7 that few people had returned, right? There's not a lot of people that have returned back to Jerusalem. We also discover that homes have not been rebuilt. So Nehemiah now knows that the gates are up, the walls are up, He's positioned people around the walls. He knows that he must watch the border carefully because anybody and everybody could access and come in if they wanted to and try to take over Jerusalem, if you will. So he knew that principle number one in this mission that God had laid before him in the role of a leader that he is in, that he must watch the borders carefully. Look, if you will, in verse 1. When the wall had been rebuilt... And the doors installed, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, and the Levites were appointed. Verse 3, I said to them, do not open the gates of Jerusalem until the sun is hot. In other words, gates are closed in the evening. Gates are closed at nighttime. Gates are closed early in the morning. They're only open when I can see good, and we can see good, when the sun is up really good. That's when we open the gates. Get it? Got it? Good, okay. So do not open the gates of Jerusalem until the sun is hot. And let the doors be shut and securely fastened while the guards are on duty. So the doors are going to be open and shut only while there are guards on duty. So here's my point. Nehemiah is watching the borders, the boundary of the city carefully. He's paying attention who's coming in and who's coming out. Now, guys, listen. Whenever we think about ourselves in this situation, do you realize in God's Word there is a theme that runs through the Word of God concerning watching and, and having a watchful spirit, and especially for the guys that are here, and, and, uh, or even, the, I should say, just all parents that are here, do you realize, guys, as parents, that, that we are the keeper of the house? In other words, we must watch the borders of our home carefully. We must, wa- must also watch the borders of our church and our ministry carefully, right? That's what Nehemiah is doing. So he's guarding the gate. Do you realize one of the roles, especially for you dads, one of the roles for every dad that's in here is to be the gatekeeper, right? You are the one primarily responsible for the, for the well-being of your family. You're to protect your family. You're to provide for your family. You're to be the spiritual leader in the home, right? 
Guys, do you realize, guys, and I'm talking to the guys here, okay? Guys, do you realize that you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? You know what I take to that verse? I take it there. I take a tremendous amount of responsibility from that verse that I am primarily responsible for even the spiritual well-being of my family and especially my wife. It's part of my role to help develop her spiritually, right? Now I realize ultimately it's between her and the Lord, her relationship. But I'm to create environments. I'm to create opportunities. I'm to create a caring spirit where I can help nurture her in the things of the Lord so that she can grow in the ways of the Lord, right? Everything that Jesus has done for me, I should be doing for my family. Hello? Say amen or oh me, but stay with me, okay? Right? He loved me, therefore I need to love my family. He provided for me, therefore I need to provide for my family. He cared for me, I need to care for my family. He nurtured, I need to nurture. He taught, I need to teach. Right? He disciplines, I need to discipline. Are you with me? Everything that Jesus does, I'm to do. So I'm talking about just watching the borders and being careful. Listen to what Proverbs 4 and 23 says. Proverbs 4, 23. It says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 4, 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Guys, every single one of us, and ladies, every single one of us need to be keepers of the gate of our heart. And we need to protect what, uh, what comes in our eye gates. We need to protect and guard what comes in our ear gates. Listen, I just don't watch everything is there is to watch. I, do, I intentionally, I know there's videos that go flying all over Facebook. They're all over the Internet. And there are some videos I refuse to watch. I mean, some crazy killing or, or some, some, some tragic accident and, and, and on and on and on it goes. I just don't want those images in my mind. I'll try to guard my heart. So my family will tell you, there's some things I will not watch. There's some things I will not allow. There's some things that cannot come in. Why? Because I am the keeper. We must watch carefully the borders of our home, and especially the borders of our heart, right? So I want you to get that out of this principle out of Nehemiah 7.1, is that we must watch ourselves. Listen to this verse of Scripture. I don't have it on the screen, but maybe you can jot it down. 2 John chapter 1, verse 8. 2 John chapter 1, verse 8 says this, Watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. And anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. So the point is we've got to watch ourselves. We've got to guard the borders and the boundaries of our heart and of our life and of our families and of our church and of our ministries because we even see that Nehemiah had that principle with guarding the borders carefully around the walls of Jerusalem. That's principle number one. Let me give you principle number two. Principle number two we find in verse number two. Examine the builders constantly. So we're already talking about watching the borders. Now we're talking about examining the builders. I want you to look in verse two. He says, then I put my brother Hananiah in charge of Jerusalem, along with Hananiah, commander of the fortress, because he was a faithful man and a man who feared God more than most. Now, Nehemiah just wasn't going to put anybody in charge. I mean, Nehemiah had risked his life, months of preparation, 52 days of building the wall, 
the attacks from the outside, the attacks from the inside, the personal attacks that came on him. The wall is now rebuilt. He's already put guards in, around, the, around the borders to protect the border. But now he's paying attention who he appoints there. He's paying attention to the builders. He's evaluating them constantly. And he puts two guys in charge. And there are two things that makes the final decision for Nehemiah to put these guys in charge. What is it? Number one, they are faithful. Number two, they fear God. Let's say it together. They are faithful and they fear God. They are faithful and they fear God. So let me ask yourself a question. Are you faithful? Are you faithful to the things of God every single day of your life? Not just on Sunday morning, but every single day of your life. Are you faithful to the things of God? Do you have a fear for God? So whenever Nehemiah is appointing these leaders to lead in the city and to oversee certain areas of Jerusalem, he's looking for men that are faithful to God and that have the fear of God in their lives. Now guys, we can apply that to our church. In our church, leaders should not be appointed leaders because of friendships. Leaders should not be appointed leaders because of a popularity contest. Leaders should not be appointed leaders because of the political jargon that takes place a lot of times in churches and they, they, uh, they politic, if you will, for a particular position. Listen, that's not of God, right? That's not of God. Here's what I've discovered about godly biblical leaders. They're humble and they would never consider themselves a leader whatsoever. Those are the individuals that I watch for. I've had folks, listen, I've been here now. We started this church in 1999. Okay, so we're at the 17-year mark or so, something like that. And I've seen a lot of people come and go. And I've had some folks, get this, you wouldn't believe, you, I wish, I ought to be writing a book on the things that I have seen and heard in building Victory Church. But I've had some folks walk in my office and say, Preacher, do you know who I am? No, sir, I don't. Do you know what I do on my job? No, sir, I don't. Do you know how much money I give? No, sir, I don't. And all three of those were qualifiers in their mind that they should have a particular position in the church. And then it came with this. If I don't get this position, we're leaving. Hello? What's up with that? Do you know the following I have? Do you know the people I influence? Are you with me? What are we looking for in leaders? We're looking for people that are faithful. And we're looking for people that have a fear of God. Right? And earlier I mentioned there's a lot more the Bible has to say about godly leadership. But humility is one of them. And I like to find those servant leaders. Those individuals that, hey, I just, I, all I want to do is serve. I don't, I don't really aspire to a position. I just want to serve. You're getting ready to get into a position because that mentality will elevate you, right? Every single one of us. And we've got to be sure the motives are pure and everything that we're doing. But the point I want you to get, Nehemiah paid attention to who he appointed over these areas in Jerusalem. Men who were faithful and men who had the fear of God. Let me give you principle number three, and I'm going to be done for today. So we're talking about the borders, how we've got to guard the gate. We're talking about the builders, how we've got to constantly evaluate. And hopefully and prayerfully, we're looking for those individuals that are faithful and have a fear of God. 
faithful and have a fear of God and other biblical qualifications as well. But then principle number three, and I think this one is probably the most important one, is the blueprint. So we talked about the borders, and we talked about the builders, the people that, that are leaders, and now we're talking about the blueprint that Nehemiah is governing the city off of. By the way, who gave him this idea concerning the blueprint? God did, right? God laid on his heart, God laid on his mind to appoint the nobles and all these different individuals to place them in into the city, into positions of leadership and allow them to come into the city. Let's look at that real quickly. We must follow the blueprint, all right? Look in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 61. Look in verse 61. It says, The following are those who came from Telmalah, Telharsha, Cherub, Adon, and Emmer, but were, get this part, they were unable to prove that their families and ancestors were Israelites. Now look down in verse 64 or so. It says, These searched for their records in the genealogical records, but they could not be found. So they were disqualified from the priesthood. So here's what I want you to get. Within the context of the passage here, these were people that said, hey, we are part of the priesthood, okay? We are of the tribe of Levi. We are part of the priesthood. That's the group where we're going to come into. We're going to make our settlement in. So Nehemiah said, let me search the record. Let me look. So Nehemiah pulls out the record book, and he looks, and it says that they were unable to prove that they were part of the family. So therefore, they were disqualified. They could not be there. Now, take it at a broader context. Everybody that Nehemiah is allowing into Jerusalem, he's looking on the blueprint. He's looking in the record book to be sure that they are Israelites, that they are the Jewish people of Jewish descendants, okay? That's what he's looking for. And if their name is on the record book, if they're in the book of the of the genealogical record, they are allowed to come into Jerusalem and build their house and let that be their home. But their name has to be on the record book. That's the blueprint. You get the point? That's the principle. Now let me try to apply that spiritually this way. I think there is a New Testament parallel passage to Nehemiah chapter 7 that applies to all of us. And that New Testament parallel passage is going to be found in Matthew chapter 7. Turn there in your Bibles, if you will. Matthew chapter 7. I want you to look at verse number 21 and following. This is Jesus speaking. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In other words, weren't we preaching in your name? And weren't we driving out demons in your name? And weren't we doing all these miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Now, here's what's taking place. At this day of judgment, folks are coming up to the Lord and saying, hey, we preached in your name and we did ministry in your name and we did wonderful works in your name. And yeah, I know my name is in the book. And the Lord pulls out the Lamb's book of life, which, by the way, all of our names must be in the Lamb's book of life in order to get into the new city, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, right? Right? We see that in Revelation. So there's, there's a book that every single one of us must have our name in. 
and it's the Lamb's Book of Life. And I'm going to tell you how you get your name in there. But there is a blueprint that has been laid before the foundation of the world was ever developed and ever made. God laid out a blueprint for all those people that would get into the new Jerusalem or get into the new heaven or get to be with the Lord forever and ever. There is a book that our name must be in. There is a blueprint that God is following for us to get into the city. Just like Nehemiah had a blueprint for those Jews that were coming into Jerusalem. Nehemiah, or Matthew 7, there were folks that came up to Jesus and said, We did all these wonderful works in your name. And he says this, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. So what is the blueprint? What is the way that we get our name in the Lamb's book of life? Here's the blueprint. The blueprint is this. We are sinners. Therefore, there's a separation between us and God. In order for us to have a right relationship with God, then we must enter or cross the bridge, if you will, and that bridge is Jesus. Think about the cross. Every single one of us must come to the foot of the cross in order to get our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. We must come to the foot of the cross. We must admit that we're a sinner. We must believe that Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God. We must know that, that Jesus paid our sin debt on the cross. Isaiah 53 says, God laid on Him, being Jesus, the iniquities or the sins of us all. He paid our sin debt on the cross. He died there. He was placed in an empty tomb. He stayed there for three days. He came out victoriously the third day. He's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. There He's making intercession for you and for me. We must believe in the finished work of Calvary. We must believe in the cross. We must repent of our sins and stand naked before God and say, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins and trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. When we do that, friends, that's the blueprint. In order to get our name in the Lamb's Book of Life, we must trust Christ as our Savior. Then our name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. You see, whenever God looks over the portals of heaven, He no longer sees John Cannon in his sinfulness. He sees me now clothed in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. All of the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed upon me as a believer. Now when God looks at me and He looks at you as believers in His Son Jesus, He doesn't see you in your sin. He sees His Son Jesus because you have been redeemed. I have been redeemed. We have been purchased. We have been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ, Him shedding His blood on the cross, is what has redeemed us now because of Jesus I'm in the family. Now because of Jesus, my name is in the book of life. Now because of Jesus, I'm in the blueprint. I can go into the new Jerusalem. I can make heaven my home for all eternity. And I know that without a shadow of a doubt. The question is, do you know that? Do you know right now without a shadow of a doubt, if you were to take your last breath right now and you were to die and leave this world, do you know without a shadow of a doubt whatsoever that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when you stand before the Lord, you won't be in this number of Matthew 7. You'll be in that number that He says, Well done, thou faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. That's what I want to be in. Amen? I'm going to a new city one day. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah is rebuilding the people. He's letting the folks come in. But before they could come in and settle in that new home, or back in their old home, actually, 
before they could come back in and settle there, their name had to be on the roll. Before we can settle in our new home, our name must be on the roll. So my question is, is your name on the roll? Is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that all is well with your soul? Well, if you don't, now's the time to get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen? I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And the band, you guys can come on up. Father, thank you so much for our time together today. And thank you, Lord, for the principles we find in Nehemiah chapter 7. Thank you, God, for your word. We see where Nehemiah was concerned about the borders. And God, help us to be concerned about the borders in our life. Help us to guard the, the heart of our, or the gates of our heart and help us, God, to be concerned about the borders. But also, help us to be concerned about the builders as well. To be the leader in our home, you would have us to be. To be the husband to our wife, you would have us to be. To be the wife to our husband, you would have us to be. To be the leaders in our community and the leaders in our church that you would have us to be men and women that are faithful, men and women that fear God. May we be in that number. But far more important than any of that is to know that we're following the blueprint. And God, it's not about being a church member. It's not about being baptized. It's not about taking communion or giving an offering. The only way we'll get our name in the Lamb's book of life is when we repent of our sin. We acknowledge that we are so far from God. That we have sinned and we ask God to forgive us of our sins. To cleanse us of all unrighteousness. To come into our heart and be our Lord and be our Savior. Then we're ready for that new Jerusalem. Then when our name is called, we can walk through those gates. We can live with you all through eternity. It's amazing how this simple childlike faith decision impacts every single one of us for all eternity. The blueprint is Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, ye must be born again. God, my prayer is that everyone under the sound of my voice has made preparation that they have experienced the second birth, that they have been born again into the family of God. And we do that through a relationship with your Son, Jesus. Father, speak to hearts now and speak to minds. And if there's any here among us that does not know you as their Savior, my prayer is today that they would repent of their sins and trust in the finished work of the cross. And ask for Jesus to come into their heart and come into their life and forgive them and be their Lord and be their God. Father, redeem us. Convict us. Draw us to you. Maybe there's some here, and God, I don't know, but maybe there's some here that they're already Christians, they're believers, but they're just walking afar off. Maybe they're like the prodigal. Help them to know that on this Valentine's Day, you stand there like the prodigal father with your arms stretched wide, welcoming that one back home, back into the fold. The great news is you love us. 
But better news even than that is you always will. Father, there's nothing that we will ever do that could cause us to run outside the umbrella of your love for us. God, you love us. Welcome that prodigal back home today that just needs to rededicate their life to you. Father, have your will and way in this time of reflection, this time of service, this time of invitation. May we surrender our hearts and our minds to you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.